Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. We're back here on Mortification of Spin, and me and my co-host, well, I'm, I'm ready to be entertained, have a little bit of fun. This is Amy Bird, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, my co-hosts here, to help me out. Um, actually, I'm going to help them out a little bit on their urban slang, because, you know, as pastors, you, you need to know how to talk to everyone in your congregation, guys. How about using the word cheddar? Cheddar? Cheddar. I like a slice of cheddar, cheddar or cheddar. Like digestive biscuits at night. <laughs> Did you say digestive biscuits? That's a that's a great British biscuit. Don't mock it. Cheddar? You're so culturally insensitive on this program. I did. <laughs> I have no I have no idea what, what cheddar means other than the cheese. No idea. Oh, we're making mad cheddar recording this uh, podcast. Having a laugh. Having a laugh? I gotta No. Hey guys, yeah. money. Oh, money. Money. oh, yes. So, how did cheddar become money? Don't you get it? I mean, cheddar, money, money, cheddar. Cheddar. <laughs> no, I don't get it's it. Money connection. Oh, I see it now. Yes. Cheddar. Cheddar. Mm. No. Okay, next. You guys even say it wrong. Cheddar isn't the way they cheddar. would say it. Cheddar. Cheddar. All right. Last one. Salty. Okay. Salty? Salty. Oh, I've heard my I've heard my youngest son use this. <laughs> a man in the attic has a salty sense of humor. Mm. Um, too bad. I've heard my I've heard my youngest son use it in reference to to a basketball player or a basketball play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like Carl used it way too properly. Like you know, you wouldn't use it in such a proper way. But you know, don't get salty with me. I've heard him. I've I've heard it used to describe like a, a a really sick play on the basketball court. Yeah, it can be used in, in different ways. Yeah. Salty can. I like Kinda that. Like... I like that. Mm-hmm. We can define okay. it in different ways, kind of like what we do with atonement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are we talking about today? Psalms and prayer. Psalms and how we can use the psalms to guide our prayer lives to help us. Uh, help us walk as Christians in this world. Because psalms do that. Psalms give us language for prayer. They give us language for praise, for dismay, for anger, for joy. I've been very struck by this recently, preaching through First Samuel on Sunday mornings. And I've come to that passage, First sort of Samuel 18, 19 onwards, where David's on the run from Saul. And a number of psalms are ascribed to this period in David's life. Now, opinions vary on the, the inspiration that the status of the psalm headings I know. But the compiler of the Psalter does ascribe quite a number of these psalms to this period in David's life, and they offer remarkable psychological insights into to how he's thinking this uh, particular point. One example would be Psalm 52, which he writes apparently about Doeg the Edomite, who of course carries out the, the massacre um, after David has gone there and been given Goliath's sword and some food, and David gets news of this massacre, and he writes this this psalm. And they're quite remarkable, quite quite remarkable. 
Yeah, go so ahead. we were asked, like, what psalms do we personally go to when we're in despair, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, the psalms are so good to go to, um, to pray through. Teach us, you know, even how to talk to God um, when we're in despair. There was a period in my life where I was just getting beat to death at a church unjustly, and I went a lot to Psalm 37, um, which deals with God's attitude towards his people and that he's going to provide, but he also says things like, fret not yourself because of evildoers. He repeats that again later. He says, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, and that was really good for me to hear in trying to keep my heart under control because when you're being beaten up, you want to respond in a similar way oftentimes. And and the Lord used Psalm 37 a lot to calm me in times when I wanted to, to hit back yeah. um, in a way that would not have been helpful. I'm not talking about right ways to pursue justice, because also in this same Psalm, it clearly says that the Lord loves justice. And so there are appropriate ways for God's people to pursue justice when they're being wronged. However, um, this Psalm helped guard my heart a lot when it was mm-hmm. tempting to want to return evil for evil. And this helped didn't me a lot. You, didn't you also say that your wife read the Psalms to yep. you when, when you came home, like you were yep. anxious? And, yep. So I would know, come home. Yep. I'd come home after, you know, a long day and just being exposed to various slanders and just terrible, terrible things. And my, I would be so bereft completely of comfort. I'd walk in and she'd see it immediately. I'd sit on my chair, almost unable to speak because I just had no words. I was so deeply, deeply in despair. And she would just open up her Bible and start reading Psalms to me. And the Lord really ministered uh, to me in those times. I think one of the great things about the Psalms is the poetry. Mm -hmm. Poetry is a very powerful form of language. In some ways, it's hard to articulate, but poetry does things that mere prose doesn't. It uses rhythm, it uses language, it uses images that speak to us in a very powerful way, a little bit like music. I mean, there's nothing mm. in some ways more it powerful. It tugs on your emotions. Yeah. Poetry combined with music can be very powerful. And I was just thinking um, Psalm 56, which is one of the Psalms that David wrote while he was on the run, actually, when he was in Gath. And he, he talks here about, uh, you've kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Mm. Are they not in your book? Now, God doesn't have a literal bottle, we know that, but the poetic image there really drives home the fact that God intimately cares for his people at that point. Right. Poetry, you you can learn that as a straightforward prose doctrine, or you can have it expressed through these powerful poetic images Mm -hmm. that, that as Amy says, they sort of pull on the emotions, but that that could possibly make them sound superficial. It's not so much they pull on the emotions as they, they grab the imagination. They mm-hmm. grab your moral imagination, your theological imagination, and present you with God in all of his gracious glory, if I could put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, and people who struggle with trying to control their emotions, you know, when, when you're emotional and, and you put that against truth sometimes, find the Psalms to be a good place to go and kind of learn how to deal with their emotions because David does have such strong emotion in his Psalms, in his prayers. And so they're not wrong in themselves, but it shows you how to bring them to the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. It's such imaginative ways to express them. And I think we live in an era where we're so, we pay so much emphasis on authenticity Mm-hmm. which we tend to equate with spontaneity. And we tend to think we have to be spontaneous for it to be genuine. 
I think that following patterns of words laid down by others that do things with language that I'm not capable of doing by myself. Right. Right. Yeah. Actually has a, a profound effect. Hey, and that's what Christ did. Yeah. Of that's course. what Christ did. Like the one I was going to use. And, and I heard such a good sermon on. So it's kind of brought me to Psalm 22 more and more when I am feeling in despair because um, he just pointed out and highlighted all the parallels in Psalm 22 from Matthew 27, 45, and 50, when Jesus was, you know, his last hours on the cross. And his whole point was, you know, it was the word of God that gave Jesus hope. Like he is meditating on Psalm 22 in his last hours of life. And so he titled the sermon, The Cry of Jesus' Faith. And you see that word in there, like repeated, um, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Um, to you, they cried out and were delivered. And But when he cried to him for help, he heard. And it's just interesting that Jesus quotes both the beginning of the psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and the end, um, he talks about that last verse in Psalm 22, verse 31. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. And he said you could also translate those last words, it is finished. Yeah, yeah. And I just think that's so powerful how Jesus was, you know, meditating and, and quoting from yeah. God's word. That's yeah. All. yeah, you know, one of the things that occurs to me here is that um, uh, I'm, I'm preaching through Philippians right now, and we'll be coming up fairly soon on um, Paul's admonition to not be anxious. Now, one of the things that we know that Paul doesn't mean there is you must never, ever have an anxious feeling or an anxious thought, because we know that there were times when Paul did. Um, uh, Paul even names his, his anxiety over the churches. So, so if we say that a godly person never struggles with anxiety, then we're going to have to get rid of a whole lot of the Psalms, because they're written out of that place. I think about uh, Psalm 63 is another place I go to when there is that anxiety or that despair. I love the dynamics of the Psalms as well, the way that there's this honesty about the flux of human life and the frustrations and the, mm-hmm. the angst of human life, always played out against this backdrop of the faithfulness of God, the mm-hmm. eternal right. nature of God, the grace of God, the, the great unchangeable doctrines. But it's to be set against the larger background of God's eternal faithfulness as demonstrated right. in the, the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, right. And his presence. You know, I mean, how, how often did David just feel completely alone? Yeah. And, you know, to turn to the Lord and, and to have that comfort that you can do that no matter where yeah. you are, no matter what situation. That immediately calls to mind for me Psalm 27, where, again, David's speaking out of a situation where most of us won't, be able to relate to directly. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Now, David as a king and as a warrior knew what it was like to have armies encamped around him. But then he immediately turns from that situation that he describes in verse 3 of Psalm 27. And what does he say in verse 4? One thing I've asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon 
yeah. a rock. So there again, you know, David, what does he find? Where does he go for comfort when the army is encamped around him? But but the, the knowledge that he can find strength and comfort in the presence of God. And that, I think, gives great insight into the piety of David. He doesn't learn this stuff during the difficult times. In the difficult times, he's able to draw on the great mm-hmm. truths he's learned about God when he's had time, we might say, to peacefully meditate upon the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's clearly spent a lifetime of peacefully meditating <clears throat> upon the word so that when the screws are being turned on him, he's not having to learn theology at that point. Be confident in God even in the, even in the difficult points. Yeah. And, 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 and his life, his life mm-hmm. illustrates that in the early portions of it when he goes into the valley uh, to face off against Goliath. He hadn't been a warrior up to that point. Yeah, he wasn't some effete PCA pastor. Oh, no, 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 no. I've tried to explain to people when I preach on what a shepherd is. They aren't, shepherds at that time weren't effete men prancing around the hills with white flowing robes. One thing no. we're talking about, though, is, is kind of our, our private prayer life and comfort, which is good. But the Psalms are also, you know, to be sung yeah. in our congregations publicly. So, I mean, I think that that's another wonderful way that, we're helped even in despair is when we sing together as a covenant community these psalms. Yeah. Music is powerful, reinforces yes. poetry. You have to make sure that the tunes are appropriate. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a tendency in some psalm singing for every psalm to be a dirge. Right. I used to joke, yeah. we're going to sing Psalm 157 to the tune Bubonic Plague this morning. <laughs> <laughs> like that. You have to make sure that the tunes are appropriate, but there are but, plenty of great psalm arrangements out there. Yeah. Right, and we and that's we sing to one another in that way, then too, and we encourage one another. I do get asked every once in a while, you know, do you believe in a in a prayer language? And of course, I know what the person asking me means, but my answer is usually the same: as yes, I do believe in a prayer language. There's there's 150 psalms that give us wonderful prayer language. That's a, that's yeah. a good way to end it, I think. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to let our listeners know that um, the Alliance's Bible Study Hour is actually covering the Psalms. And also, while you're at our website, if you'd like to leave us a donation, we would love that kind of financial support and also your prayers for the Alliance for the Mortification of Spin. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Now, I'm guessing that most of our audience will not know anything about Dietrich von Hildebrand, so I wonder if you could give us the 30-second the Wikipedia version of, of who he is and why he's significant. That she describes this long document as the longest love letter ever written, so only a Frenchman or a French lady <laughs> would turn a 5,000-page document into a love letter. I, I'm just reminded again of the danger of the church becoming uh, a culture's chaplain or a, um, a political party's chaplain. That interview is next time. Join us then. 
Oh, wait, he's back. You back? Oh, yeah, did you lose me? We lost you there. Wait, that's yeah. your whole sentence. I think oh, okay. the Russians were jamming our broadcast. Okay, exactly. Okay, so I can use woke. I can use woke in a sentence. 